You're listening to the You're Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work Amazing Podcast. Episode 3, A Look at Workplaces. How workplaces can be made more healthy and why there's a moral imperative that we have to make working good for everybody. After sleep, work is the biggest sole occupier of most people's time and the importance of working upon well-being cannot be ignored. In fact, it should be acknowledged as a way of improving health, well-being and life expectancy. It was Aristotle who declared that all jobs absorb and distort the mind, and although the level of distortion referred to may be debated, there is overwhelming evidence to show that being employed is better for one's health than not. If managed properly, the workplace can be amongst the best place for improvement in health. With strong social structures, hierarchy and obedience, it's the closest that many people may come to displaying the discipline necessary to instigate and maintain health improvements into their daily routine. People are essentially voluntarily trapped in their workplaces for between 8 and 12 hours a day on average, far longer than they would spend in a gym or taking exercise. With thoughtful architectural design and careful planning, workplaces can be engineered to increase ambient exercise and keep people active. The concept of occupational rehabilitation is not new, but the reliance workers have on technology and design is, and this can be used as a tool in workplace health promotion. Such modern technology is clearly observable in most workplaces and jobs, leading to the creation of the risk of the obesogenic workplace. Intelligent kinesthetic workplace design is key, setting escalators to slower speeds to encourage users to take the stairs, locating departments as far away from each other as reasonably possible, providing healthy food in canteens, encouraging lunchtime exercise groups, limiting car parking facilities and encouraging cycling and walking, and providing regular free fruit are all possible. Common strategies already used in industry include providing subsidised gym memberships and affordable bicycle ownership schemes. The increase in obesity will have sizeable repercussions for workplaces, not just with regard to the larger burden of chronic disease, necessary frequent medical appointments and greater sickness absence. Other effects will be more esoteric, such as increased levels of early ill health retirement due to complications in diabetes and cardiovascular problems. In terms of occupational safety and worker protection, the impact will also be wide-ranging, including a potential for increased levels of injuries and road traffic accidents as a result of the increased prevalence of sleep apnea, tiredness, fatigue and the related concentration problems. Effective workplace health promotion requires employers actively helping their staff improve their own general health and well-being. The motives for an organisation to do this can be many, company improvement, long-term cost-saving, genuine philanthropy, and altruism or insurance savings. Motives aside, actually doing workplace health promotion means involving employees, taking their needs into account, and thinking differently about how to organise work and working. By making workers feel better and healthier, workplace health promotion should lead to many positive organisational consequences, such as lower turnover rates and absenteeism, greater staff motivation, reductions in organisational cynicism, greater productivity, as well as additional image benefits of increased caring by the company. 
Workplace health promotion can be targeted at two levels, aimed at the general overall worker and their health, but also to help mitigate or control those hazards or risks that may be intrinsic to the job, such as stressful public interactions or weight gain from sedentary working. Examples of workplace health promotion include providing healthy canteen food or facilities for staff to prepare their own healthy food, and providing tobacco awareness programmes and free participation in smoking cessation clinics. Well-being at work can also be enhanced through modified flexible working, working hours and working from home policies. Other health promotion ideas include offering courses for managers on how to deal with stress and tensions within their team, and offering health monitoring, including blood pressure and cholesterol checks. Particular efforts can be made to target groups of workers that may be at a disadvantage relative to other groups. These include older workers, disabled workers, migrant workers, younger workers and female workers. Demographics show that there will be a significant increase in the proportion of older people in the workforce. Many employers will be increasingly relying on ageing workers – And although there are some obvious potential problems, such as increasing age-related ill health, older workers have fewer sickness absence days and generally stay in their jobs longer. But if the benefits of older workers are to outweigh the problems caused by their years, workplace health promotion will be essential in maximising their skills and experiences. Any workplace health promotion campaign or strategy will need to consider the needs of any disabled workers and if any modifications or changes will be required in order to comply with the Equality Act. A disproportionately high number of migrant workers are employed in high-risk sectors such as construction and agriculture. Language and cultural differences may act as barriers to effective risk communication or safety training. They may work a large amount of overtime, and all of these may make them more prone to occupational injuries and accidents. In Europe as a whole, 18 to 24-year-olds are at least 50% more likely to be hurt at work than older people, and partly as a consequence of that, young people are also more likely to suffer from occupational illness. When new to the job and the environment, younger workers generally lack experience and may not pay enough attention to the real risks they may face. Such problems are things that can, in the main, be tackled by training, supervision, safeguards and giving them work to do that is appropriate for them. Employers need to be aware of the vulnerability of younger workers. In addition, they may also lack physical and psychological maturity and confidence in speaking out against safety risks. Taking a gender-sensitive approach to health promotion is necessary, as men and women are not the same when it comes to the jobs they do, how they do them, working conditions, and the types of occupational health risks they face. Securing worker participation and enthusiasm in any programme, either implemented in-house or through bringing in an external consultant, is the key. Getting workers to take part is often the biggest hurdle, and in smaller organisations, the effects of cynicism from non-participants can be initially disappointing. Perseverance is needed to counter any such negativity. Involving charitable concerns can often help, and if the proceeds from competitions, tournaments or sponsored walks can be donated to worthy causes chosen by the workforce, it can be a useful tool in reducing such cynicism. Getting a pilot sample of some volunteer workers to complete a baseline health risk assessment can be a flexible and cost-effective way of providing the steering committee with some idea of what the risk areas are for workers. 
such health risk assessments can be self-completion questionnaires or workers' self-measured weight and height, or even non-invasive biometrics such as lung function or grip strength. The data from such health risk assessments can provide scientific links between performance and worker health, and a target or targets to improve can be decided upon. Other areas to consider measuring and trying to improve could include sleep, sleep hygiene, fatigue, nutrition, stress, coping and physical activity. Taking a roadshow style approach where workers can mingle freely among a variety of displays and information often works well. Providing no pressure environments where workers can focus on the aspects of health promotion that they feel are relevant to them. This could be a phase of the promotional strategy where an external consultant could be useful. Visual aids work best at attracting interest and popular interactive displays at events could include the drug box, beer goggles and the fat plate, all guides to the effects of nutrition or alcohol. Having someone on hand to reliably measure workers' height, weight, body mass index, waist circumference or lung function and grip strength could also add a bit of white coat glamour to such events. Hardly any well-being events would be complete without a section dedicated to pressure management and workplace stress. Information concerning the signs and symptoms of stress, how to avoid or cope with it and some self-completion stress tests can help. Although the executive desk toy and its modern replacement, the stress ball, are a bit of a cliché, having some freebie material for workers to take away that also promote the workplace campaign can help. Programmes, campaigns and guidance can help workers make simple changes in their workplace and non-workplace activities that will eventually become second nature in their behaviour, leading to bigger changes and greater improvements in health. The psychology of human behaviours consistently shows that setting small goals is more effective and easier to achieve than setting large goals, thereby resulting in increased confidence, satisfaction and a greater likelihood of maintaining such new behaviours in the future. In this respect, any lifestyle changes that are promoted to workers should start off small, taking the stairs instead of the lift for a week, having baked potatoes at lunch instead of chips or even smaller portions at dinner. Initial success at these smaller changes will promote further developments and bigger changes as confidence increases. The use of cancer calculators and mortality calculators, simple and free desktop software algorithms that predict the likelihood of ill health based on details given by the worker, can be very effective eye-openers in gaining their participation. The periodic use of biofeedback and reinforcement can also be used to provide encouragement to workers embarking on small changes in lifestyle management. Simple tests of grip strength or resistance using hand dynamometers, sleep diaries and food diaries, or performance testing using brain training handheld games can all help to keep workers actively engaged with the promotion. These are good opportunities to promote the phone numbers and contact details, for instance, of any counselling or occupational health facilities the organisation uses for workers to access if they need. According to the Chartered Institute of Personal Development, the average UK employee takes eight days off sick each year, costing the economy about £599 per person. Separate research suggests 200 million working days are taken as sick leave in the UK, costing approximately £12 billion. 
Such statistics, coupled with the government's continued public health agenda, are shaping organisations to help staff improve their own health. The occupational arena is the best forum for improving public health and combating chronic health problems like diabetes or mental health problems. The quest for work-life balance may be a false and unobtainable goal, but the contemporary climate of trying to ensure workers go some way towards acquiring such balance themselves will pay dividends for health and well-being in the future. Good workplace health is a moral and legal obligation. If a worker's health is worse at the end of a shift than it was at the start of that shift, whether it's psychological health, physical health or both, then there is something legally and morally wrong with that organisation and it has to change. You have been listening to the You're Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work amazing podcast. I hope this has been useful and informative.